Welcome to the Endangered Words podcast. First of all, I'd like to apologize for being late this week, as I've been a very busy bee and have not had time to get around to it until now. If you have listened before, I want to thank you for returning, and if you are a new listener, I would like to say welcome. Each week, I try to seek out endangered languages in the hopes of finding out information and giving these languages more exposure. As I mention each week, I am not a professional, simply an enthusiast who wants to help these languages to continue and survive. I myself am attempting to save and revive the East Perthshire dialect of Gaelic. For me, the idea of language preservation and trying to help minoritize languages is a passion and I very much enjoy making these podcasts. With all that said, I come to the first piece of bad news. This past week, I have struggled greatly to find information about African languages. I wanted to find a language from Africa that I could explain the grammar, history, and other pieces of information about it in detail. However, other than languages whose speakers number in the millions, I was unable to find all that much information about endangered languages. Because of this, I have decided to look at three different languages and as much information as I could find about them and then have a little bit of a talk about the current situation in Africa regarding languages. In the episode, we will look at Nubi, a language of Kenya and Uganda, the Korana language of South Africa, and the Siwi Berber language of Egypt. First, let's have a quick look at the Nubi language of Kenya and Uganda. The language is a creole of Arabic, featuring loans and influence from Bantu languages. Sources say that the language has anywhere from 10,000 to 50,000 speakers and is considered endangered. The language is derived from the Sudanese Arabic pidgin and split off around the late 1800s. The language has a lot of the same consonants as Arabic but has lost some sounds. It also has five vowel sounds which is different to many dialects of Arabic. The name comes from the fact that the Kakwa, the speakers of Nubi, come from the Nubian region. It features some vowel harmony, which means that the vowels in a word will change to match other vowels. An illustration of this would be to take the word a. Imagine if, when you put it in front of the word pit, it transformed into an i. If you put it in front of pot, it would become o. So, o pot. This is similar to how vowel harmony works in Nubi. Vowel length doesn't usually play a role in the language, though there are some exceptions apparently. There are also some words that sound the same, but their meaning is differentiated by stress. Compared to some other languages, this one isn't in as immediate danger, but from what I have read, it is losing speakers and many of the speakers are adults, with children having mixed feelings about the language. The language is also mostly used in the home, as opposed to having state sponsorship. The main reason why this language may face real danger is the influence of other languages taking precedence 
over the language at home. An example of such a language would be English. Some words in the language are moon, shahari, mountain, gala, mal, kasma, name, asma, neck, ragaptu, new, jedidi, nose, nyangaratu, not, ma, one, wai, person, azol, sand, lumbra, say, kelem. Now let's take a look at korana or koemana from South Africa. I wasn't entirely sure how to pronounce the name koemana, so I am reading it phonetically, but it may well be wrong. Right off the bat, this language and its current state are incredibly different from the language we just talked about, Nubi. The language belongs to the Koe language family that only has two members in it. The language itself may only have a few speakers remaining and it is in an extremely vulnerable position. It features unique sounds such as clicks, which are not found in most or possibly any European languages. Until a little over a hundred years ago, the language was thriving, but due to apartheid, the language suffered greatly, losing the vast majority of its speakers. As is a trend with language loss, and indeed with the languages we have looked at so far, imperialism has played a massive role. The language was written down and studied by a lady named Lucy Lloyd, who happened to be the first woman in South Africa to receive an honorary doctorate. Her notes have been scanned and made available to the public on a website called Lloyd Bleak Collection. The spelling of that is L-L-O-Y-D-B-L-E-E-K-C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-O-N. I'm not going to attempt to speak Korana, as, quite frankly, I have no idea how it's meant to sound. On top of the already difficult inventory of consonants, it also has multiple click sounds that I have no idea how to say. The last language for this podcast is Siwi. Siwi is a Berber language of Egypt, isolated to a small southern area of the country. The Berber languages are part of the Afro-Asiatic language family, alongside Aramaic, Hebrew, Arabic and Akkadian. The language is spoken by around 10,000 people and is at threat due to the dominance of Egyptian Arabic in all walks of life and the media. It is the easternmost Berber language, with many Berber language speakers living in Morocco. Siwi consists of 38 consonants and 6 vowels. It is subject-verb-object and has male and female noun gender. The language also, like Arabic, uses gender distinctions when speaking to either a man or a woman. An example of this is in the demonstratives, this and that. This, when speaking to a man about a male object, is wok. This, when speaking to a man about a female object, is tok. This, when speaking to a woman about a masculine object, is wom. This, when speaking to a woman about a feminine object, is tom. 
The pronouns are quite complex, with independent forms, forms that are direct and indirect object suffixes, possessive suffixes, and verb suffixes. The main threat to the language as previously mentioned is Arabic in Egypt, which is the language of the media, government, and daily life for most of Egypt. One factor that has helped Siwi survive has been the relative isolation of the population. They mostly live in oasis-style towns in the desert. It is dreadfully hot and dry there, and so their cities are all interconnected via covered thoroughfares and pathways. Unfortunately, these areas are only for the use of men, with women being forced to use the hot, exposed, interconnected roofs instead. Given that I was unable to find as much information as I had about other languages I have previously covered, I instead decide to look at languages in Africa as a whole and what sorts of factors are affecting the long-term outcomes of hundreds of unique ways of speech on the continent. As many are likely aware, Africa continues to be a place with great amounts of warfare, violence, pestilence and poverty. These factors alone could be enough to eradicate whole cultures from the face of the earth, but they only tell one part of the story. A friend of mine once explained to me that her local language had been replaced by French, a language not native to the African continent, one that had risen to prominence due to colonialism. The colonial powers throughout Africa imposed their way of speech on the local populations. Many nations are either English or French-speaking, with native languages falling into the black hole of being a minority. The adoption of English as a standard is sometimes done to avoid sectarianism or tribalism, issues that still affect states such as Sudan and the Congo. There remains tensions between ethnic groups in Africa, some of which is directly related to colonialism and the carving up of the continent down arbitrary lines. Another important factor is simply economic. It serves people better nationally and internationally to speak English or Arabic. The current state of a lot of African languages is dire. But I don't see that the decline will change realistically because there are just too many factors involved. America, Australia, Europe and perhaps Asia, depending on the region, are far better equipped financially and politically to make a difference than a lot of areas of Africa. Many people, when reviving or studying languages, seem to overlook these languages in Africa in favour of ones that are closer to their own homes, which is honestly an understandable phenomenon. People wish to protect what they know or relate to. But when those who can are unwilling and those who are willing can't, there isn't much hope for change. It is also easy to understand that for a lot of people, everyday survival is a higher priority than language. Corruption runs rampant in many regions on the continent, which would prevent groups trying to revive or preserve their languages from being able to access the funds to do so. All I have mentioned thus far has been terribly depressing and seemingly hopeless. But even in such a horrible situation, there are groups who are setting out with what they have to keep their language and cultures alive. Online, though sparse, I have come across projects that seek to catalogue, preserve and even teach minority languages in Africa. In South Africa, a group looking to preserve the Siswati language began a dictionary project recently. In Kenya, 
A new TV station began in the hopes of serving local communities, with the programming being in 10 different local languages. Such efforts, though rather small compared to the sort of state backing that Irish or Gaelic have, is a step in the right direction in terms of saving at least some of the endangered and unique languages and cultures in Africa. In conclusion, it goes without saying that as a language enthusiast and a minority language supporter, that the lack of solid information, the statistics and truly poor conditions of many languages and indeed people in Africa is nothing short of depressing for me. Many of the languages, for the bits and pieces I could find, are unique and fascinating, with interesting grammar, large inventories of sounds, tones and many other traits that are perhaps quite foreign to my English-speaking brain. I would like to cover an African language properly in the future and shall endeavour to find a language that I am able to gather more information about. I don't wish to abandon these languages, but at this point I simply don't have much I can speak about. As this episode has been focused on some fairly sad issues, decided for next week to look at a language revival success story. If you like this podcast, please check out the YouTube channel and feel free to leave a message. I hope you can join me next week when we will be going in-depth on another Celtic language, Manx. Thank you for listening.